Being a Better Man, Episode 20, Severed Parts. You have just entered a world governed by personal accountability where being a man is not an excuse for bad behavior, where complaints are not allowed, whining is forbidden, and excuses do not exist. Join us as we focus on the actual character of men rather than merely the trappings of manhood. Well, hold it. We're not doing that today. Today is story time. That's right, folks. Instead of the regularly scheduled podcast, I've decided to squeak in something extra in between. Story time with Alf. Let me explain. You see, in my life, I've amassed a large collection of stories. Some of them are funny, some are sad, some are touching, and some are very serious. But they are all 100% true to the best of my recollection. These stories are also relevant to the mission here at Being a Better Man, because in every story, even though these are my stories, there is some lesson, example, or other nugget that you might be able to apply to your life, or it might remind you of your own similar story. Either way, you should be entertained. So at the end of each story, I will talk briefly about what the lesson learned was, the moral of the story, in other words. So sit back. Relax and enjoy the story. Elementary school principals had something in their desk in 1969 that they do not have today. They were called paddles, and they were used in the administration of discipline against misbehaving children. These paddles had many different shapes and dimensions. By the time I got to high school, I had seen them from 12 to 30 inches long. Most were made of pine or fur, but the really special ones were made from black walnut because it was hard and it would retain very sharp corners. Some of the paddles were full of holes. The holes would cut down on wind resistance and made a significant increase in the amount of velocity that they could hit you with. Just about all the teachers had paddles, even the women, and some of the paddles had names though I can't remember any now. It's probably better that way. The paddles to really fear belong to the principals. principal of my little school, Mr. Thompson, he didn't mess around. He had two paddles, just in case one broke during use. You could tell he had crafted them himself in his garage and took great pride in their shiny finish and fine lines. I was one of those kids to whom a spanking was only a mild deterrent. I'd gotten kind of used to him. I don't think I was what you would call a bad kid, but if there was something I really wanted to do, I would weigh out all the consequences. If my desire to do something outweighed my fear of the paddle, then I would mentally accept the pain before I even began. Needless to say, I got a swat from a paddle at least once a week, from elementary all the way through junior high school. Most of my punishments seem to have something to do with my open dislike of girls, which was actually my closet like of them. I liked girls a lot, but they were a mysterious creature to me, and I didn't know how to approach them or talk to them. The best I could do was find new ways to torment them. I lived on a farm, and occasionally we would have animals slaughtered for meat. I was always right under the slaughterman's feet, learning all I could about his fascinating vocation. I would ask a million questions like, What's that thing? What's it do? Why is it that color? 
Do I have one of those in me? And so on. They didn't seem to mind, though, and eventually I became good friends with the slaughter guys. One Sunday, we were having a couple pigs slaughtered, and I got the most brilliant idea. I would take a piece of pig to school with me and use it to terrorize girls. Brilliant, right? I giggled out loud at the thought of it. The slaughter guy was happy to oblige me with two pig ears. I just told him I needed them for school. I didn't say why. Now, my mother had never told me not to bring pig ears to school to terrorize girls with. This fact was critical in my justification of the event. I never outwardly, directly disobeyed my parents, but they had to be careful how they worded things and about what they forgot to tell me. If I was caught in this ear caper, I could just play dumb because no one had ever told me not to do it. The stage was set. I'd managed to wait until first recess. The ears were in a paper bag in my coat. Once on the playground, I carefully surveyed a group of girls. I waited for one to stray away from the herd. There she was, Nancy. Holding the ears up to my head, in much the same position they were in life, I made my best pig squeal imitation by sucking air in backwards over my vocal cords. She looked. I charged. The chase was on. Soon all the girls on the playground were screaming. I tossed an ear to my friend Jay so he could join me in the attack. Suddenly everyone just froze in their tracks and became silent. I continued to run around crazy with my severed ear for a bit until I noticed everyone else was standing silently, staring in the direction of the school. I turned around slowly, and there was Mr. Thompson, standing on the steps, both hands on his hips, trembling with fury. He slowly stretched out his arm in my direction. When his arm was horizontal, a long, bony finger flipped out like a switchblade, and it pointed at me. Then his hand slowly rotated, finger still out, until his palm was faced upward, at which time the extended finger began flexing as an indication to come. I had had my fun for the day. Like a condemned man who deserved his fate, I gathered myself and followed Mr. Thompson into the school to meet whatever punishment awaited me. What awaited me was his paddle, of course. No surprise there. The ears were confiscated and my mother was called. All the kids were huddled beneath Mr. Thompson's window, hearing what they could. I got it again when I got home. And then again when my dad got home. Apparently, I was the only one in the family with a sense of humor. I was told in no uncertain terms to never bring pig ears to school again. And I never did. But they hadn't said anything at all about tales. That was an adventure for another day. And that's the end of this one. But there are a few morals to this story. On the face of it, it would seem like I was kind of a horrible child that had no regard or respect for girls in my class. The truth of it, in my opinion, is that I was just a kid. A kid with a good imagination who actually liked girls a lot, but who didn't understand them. They were so different from me as to almost appear like a different creature altogether. It was as though common language was useless to me in communicating with them. I wanted them to notice me. I wanted them to be aware of me. I think I accomplished that part, but in the process, I probably made them hate me, and with good reason. I was seven years old and my moral compass was still in construction. 
All I had to guide me at this point was my limited experience and what I observed and was told by adults. Most of what I did was instinctual and compulsive. Very little reasoning went into what I did at that age. But then I grew up, and as I grew, I eventually mastered all the nuances of human society. And by the time I hit ninth grade, I was quite civilized. I still couldn't talk to girls very well, but I had learned to respect and revere them and consider them as people with value. Now there's a problem I've noticed in the world today. There are guys running around that should be men, but they're still acting like I did when I was seven. I'm not sure what happened, but these guys I'm talking about never became men for some reason. They are boys inhabiting the bodies of men. It's sad and disturbing. Did society drop the ball somehow? Did we create an environment of zero consequence that has allowed boys to never grow up, to never be responsible for their own actions? Our prisons are full of these boys I'm talking about, these boys that should be men. It's a tragedy. If you're listening to this and you have a theory about it, I would be interested to hear it. You can drop me a note over at the website. The other moral of this story is about justification. I was a master at using the words of others to somehow justify the things I wanted to do. As I got older and developed a sense of responsibility and my conscience came online, I couldn't do this anymore. At some point, the concepts of honor and rightness entered the picture and I gradually became a man. I could no longer live with false justifications for my actions. There are many different degrees of this. The worst cases are in prison or on their way to prison. But we all know someone who is on this spectrum somewhere, floating around between boyhood and manhood, and that's why I started this podcast. If something I say can help one guy realize there's a better way to be a man, then it's a worthwhile thing. If you recognize yourself somewhere on this spectrum, hey, that's good news, because now you can change your behavior. You don't have to behave like a boy any longer. You can behave like a man. I also believe that as a man, it's our obligation to not only be an example of manhood, but to try to make corrections where we see a need. If you know a man who's acting like a boy, tell him about it. Sometimes a guy just needs to hear it straight from someone he knows. That someone could be you. Well, that's it for today, guys. Remember, no excuses, no justifications. Be happy and proud that you're a man. And be a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad signing out.